would go better if you imagine it's blizzarding out, 40 below, wind chill, something like that. It will make this class more enjoyable. I am Monsignor Tom Richter, for those of you who don't know me, and Father Waltz, your instructor, invited me to come in and speak to you about uh, the discernment of spirits, and in particular, in particular, the rules for the discernment of spirits. The rules for the discernment of spirits according, according to St. Ignatius of Loyola. So write him down. St. Ignatius of Loyola, his dates are 1491 to 1556. 1491 to 1556. He started a religious order. What's the religious order's name? Jesuits. The Jesuits. Who's the most famous Jesuit on the planet today? Pope Francis. Very good. Very good. Any questions, please don't be afraid to raise your hand, ask questions, make comments. I would appreciate it. And it will make the class um, hopefully more helpful and fruitful. So these are uh, the rules for the discernment of spirits according to St. Ignatius of Loyola. Uh, 16th century, he was a Spaniard. Uh, it, there's kind of two types of saints on the end of the spectrum with all kinds of saints in between the spectrum, but our tradition of 2,000 years had saints that kind of um, weren't that saintly. And then they had a big conversion. Um, probably the most famous would be a St. Augustine, someone like that, who had a naughty life for many years of his life and then had a conversion and became the great great doctor of grace. He's the most quoted man in our catechism. And then you have saints like St. Therese of Lisieux, who kind of came out of the womb with a halo and just got, the halo got brighter and brighter and brighter and brighter uh, throughout their life. She died at the rich age of 24, by the way, St. Therese of Lisieux. St. Ignatius of Loyola would fit more with Augustine than with uh, Therese of Lisieux, okay? And these are his rules. I need to give, before we bust into the rules, there's 14 of them, he actually has 22, but for our sake, we're just going to uh, focus on 14. Okay, 14 rules for the discernment of spirits. When you hear rules for the discernment of spirits, just to see where you're at, what images or thoughts conjure up in your mind? Anyone? Anything strong that you want to share? Well, it's, it's not about, it, when you hear the rules for the discernment of spirits, don't think about like demonology or exorcism stuff. That's not we're gonna, what we're going into. It's uh, something much more ordinary than that. Okay? Um, it's about how how the spiritual world acts on your soul. And I'll get more specific, of course, in regards to that. But ultimately, ultimately, the rules for the discernment of spirits, the rules for the discernment of spirits is about staying, 
in relationship with God. These rules are about are about helping a person stay in relationship with God. At the Last Supper, sitting around the Last Supper table, especially in the Gospel of John, what was Jesus' last instruction to the twelve? Well, to the eleven. Judas had already left. What was his final instruction that he repeated several times? Come on. His instruction was, remain in me. Remain in me. Some translations have, abide in me. Jesus' final instruction to his apostles, what they were supposed to do, was remain in him. And then he goes on to say, right, if you remain in me, you'll bear much fruit. If you don't remain in me, if you don't remain in me, you will like a, be a branch that was cut off and thrown to the ground. So the first, the first and last duty of a friend of Jesus is to remain in him, to stay in relationship with God, with Jesus. <clears throat> Why do we want to remain in him. Why do we want to stay in relationship with Jesus? What would you say? There isn't some unwritten rule of this class that you can't speak, is there? <laughs> why? 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 It's not a trick question. Why? Why do you why do you want to stay in relationship with God? Because he's good. Because he's good. Anything else? Anything else? Come on, guys. Guidance. Guidance. Very good. We need him. You need him. I was expecting, I was, when I was your age, I think I would have said, I want, I want a relationship with God so that I can go to heaven. Right? But I was trying to set you up, and you didn't fall for the trap. But I'm going to, I'm going to uh, do it anyway. Relationship with God, students. In order for the rules to really, really make sense. In order for Christianity to make sense. Relationship with God. Relationship with Jesus. Is an end in itself. Write that down. Or at least act like you're writing it down and flatter me. Relationship with God is the end in itself. So if you say, I want to stay in relationship with God so I can go to heaven, that only makes sense if you understand heaven is about being in relationship with God. Are you following me? There's nothing greater than a relationship with God. It's not like we have a relationship with God so that we get something greater than God. It's not like I stay in relationship with Jesus on earth 
And then when I get to heaven, I'm going to get something greater than Jesus. Like there's a big Quonset with a great party there forever. And you can write this down. Heaven. Heaven, everyone. Heaven is being in relationship with Jesus. I hope I didn't disappoint anyone. Heaven is being in relationship with Jesus. There is no greater good than being in relationship with God. Until you get that, until we get that, until we get that, we don't understand God. And whatever we're imagining God to be and having a relationship with what we're imagining to be, we're imagining it to be something less than our greatest good. And that's not God. If heaven is greater than being in relationship with God, then God isn't God. St. Catherine of Siena said it this way. St. Catherine of Siena said it this way. The way to heaven is heaven. The road to heaven is heaven. The road to hell is hell. Now the reason that's true is this. She's saying the road to heaven is being with Jesus. Being with God. The road the road to being with God forever is being with God. Is this making sense? Do you understand how much conversion we need? Like how many hours of your week is the thought of being with God the most exciting thing you could ever do? It is. There's nothing more enjoyable than God. There's nothing more attractive than God. There's no thing, nothing more exciting than God. There's nothing more adventurous than God. So the road to heaven is heaven. The road to being with God forever is being with God. So why do we want to stay in relationship with God? So we can be in relationship with Him forever, which is heaven. I hammered that enough, didn't I? If you're like me when I was in college, I didn't think of it that way. I thought of relationship with God the way kids think of Santa Claus. I love Santa Claus because he gives me presents. What I really want are presents, not Santa Claus. I like Santa Claus because he gets me what I really want. I want God, I want to be faithful to Jesus in a relationship because he's going to get me a present called heaven. But heaven is the relationship with him. 
Am I making sense? Because if it, if I there should be lights going off. I was expecting some socks to be shooting here. So, the rules for the discernment of spirits are so I can stay in relationship with God, which is heaven on earth, and to continue that in heaven, continue that post-death forever. Okay? Isn't this fun? Here we go. So that's the first thing. What are the rules for discernment of spirits about? It's not about spotting demons or head spinning. It's about, and it's not about me getting myself to feel a certain way or to escape certain feelings or to control stuff or to avoid suffering. It's about how do I stay with Jesus when I feel this way? How do I stay with Jesus when I feel this way? How do I stay with Jesus when I have this in my head? How do I stay with God in everything? Because that's heaven. Got it? Okay. So, a little uh, more, a few more principles to to establish when you study the rule for the discernments uh, for the discernment of spirits, what you're studying is spiritual movements. Spiritual movements. I'm tired of writing. You guys gotta keep writing, but I'm just gonna talk. A spiritual movement. A spiritual movement is any of these, and it's usually a combination of all three. A spiritual movement is a thought, feeling, or desire caused in my soul. Soul meaning mind, will, affections, imagination. Thought, feeling, or desire caused in my soul that directly affects my relationship with God and His will. A spiritual movement is any thought, feeling, or desire that directly affects my relationship with God and His will. Huh? So that would include love of neighbor. <coughs> Uh, and the whole gamut of things. Spiritual movements are thoughts, feelings, and desires caused in my soul that have a direct impact, direct effect on my relationship with God. So what's a spiritual movement that we've all had? It's this. You're in fourth grade. You're on the playground. And somebody's picking on the little kid who's a bit nerdish and awkward. And he's easy to pick on. And inside of you is I should help him. But also in you is, no, I'm afraid they're going to pick on me too. Thoughts, feelings, and desires in you 
that directly affect you living the way God wishes you to live. So, what you should be getting excited about right now is this. The rules for the discernment of spirits are about ordinary life. <clears throat> ordinary life. Because in your ordinary in our ordinary lives, everyone, we have many, 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 you can put three many's, two many's, one, many spiritual movements every day. This is just great stuff. Which means this, fellas, ladies, God is really close. We don't know how to follow God until we need know how to follow the thoughts, feelings, and desires that come from him. We don't know how to follow God until we know the thoughts, feelings, and desires that don't come from him and don't follow them. You don't need some sign in the sky to follow God. God is personal. And if God is personal, he has to get into my thoughts, feelings, and desires. That's what this is about. Okay? So they're very ordinary, spiritual, and, and uh, the definition, it's part of our ordinary experience. These apply to everyone. Whether your Mother Teresa or Adolf Hitler... These are universal rules. Because of human nature. Okay? Next. St. Ignatius. St. Ignatius divides spirits into two categories. The good spirit or good spirits, and the bad spirit, or bad spirits, okay? He also refers to this as the enemy against human nature. Isn't that a beautiful definition for the enemy? He's the enemy of our human nature. God takes on our human nature and loves it, but he's the enemy. Now, here, when he says good spirit, it's inclusive. The Holy Spirit, that's what HS is. Holy starts with H, Spirit starts with S. Holy Spirit, angels, our own human, good human nature, our own good human nature, Dear students of Catholic University, are we good? Yes. Even after the fall, are we good by nature? Yes. yes. It's a fundamental Catholic principle of the human person. Even after the fall, we are fundamentally good. 
if we were fundamentally evil, we would be fulfilled by doing evil. But since we're fundamentally good, when we do evil, it, it harms us. It makes us less. Why? Because we're fundamentally good. So good human nature, Holy Spirit, angels, our own goodness in our nature, and then um, huh? good influences in society. Friends, good laws, thou shalt not kill. Okay, bad spirit is also inclusive. This would be a personified evil, demons. Okay, demons, our own concupiscence. Our own concupiscence, C-O-N-C-U-P-I-S-C-E-N-C-E, -E. as a five-time Burley County Spelling Bee champion. Concupiscence. Concupiscence is what? We're fundamentally good, but, con but concupiscence is what? Sin. We have a tendency to sin. We're good, but we can have a tendency to sin. But sin is against our human nature. So demons, concupiscence, and then bad influences. Huh? So St. Ignatius of Loyola says this, that your soul is a spiritual citizen. And these spiritual citizens in regards to you. Don't get into doo-doo-doo-doo horns and pitchforks, everyone. In your thoughts, feelings, and desires. They act. And the rules of discernment, the rules for the discernment of spirits tell you what is the source of these thoughts, feelings, and desires. What is the source? And since I know the source, I follow them or I don't follow them. This should be exciting. Especially if you want to go to heaven, which is being with Jesus. Because until I know how to be with the good spirit, I don't know how to be with God. And until I know how to be with God, I can't live with him eternally. Questions, thoughts. I need some feedback. Anyone? Is it making sense? Can I ask who Ignatius learned from? What's that? Who did Ignatius learn from? Ha. Huh. like this was choreographed, Maddie, what? I'm going to show you right now where he learned this from by handing this out. And I need you to turn 
to the very last page, everyone. So on the back of the second page. Is there going to be an extra one there? Can I get an extra for someone? You bet. Katie needs one too. Well, there's extra stuff. Would you grab those? Thank you. Okay. If if I can uh, keep you from um, reading on your paper, everyone, stick with, hang with me a little bit. I want to put this into historical context before we read through it. So Saint Ignatius of Loyola. Saint Ignatius of Loyola. Um, <laughs> was a man of chivalry. He was a man's man. And um, he wanted most, more than anything to be a great war hero. Um, and uh, he, was, he was a hit with uh, the ladies. And that's basically how he lived his life. He was largely pleasure-seeking, tough guy. Um, got himself into uh, deep trouble to where a man wanted to kill him. We don't know why. But for three years of his life, when he is 24 years old, 25, 26, uh, he asked the king. He was in, he was, uh, in the court in, Sp uh, in Spain, not high up, but nevertheless, got permission to have two bodyguards with him, carry a sword in public, Back in the day, that would be like having concealed carry now because his life was in danger because of the way he lived his life. He then was, uh, the Spanish fought the French. The Spanish fought the French, and the French had them outnumbered. And even the French, if they get a big enough army, they can actually win some. <laughs> and, and, um, a cannonball went between Ignatius's legs and shattered one leg. Because of that, he was laid up in bed for weeks, for months, for months, he was laid up. And um, <clears throat> while that, just to show you the, the toughness of this guy, um, when the doctors re- it, his leg was shattered when they, um, uh, you know, put the cast on and it healed. It healed wrongly, so they had to re-break it. And he wanted no sort of painkiller. And then after uh, they rebroke it and reset it and it grew back, he had a little lump below his knee. And he didn't want. He didn't like the way it looked. That's how vain he was. So they had him. They had him open, he had them open up, the doctors open up his skin and shave it down so it would look nicer. So this is the kind of guy we're working with. Um, and he's laying in bed for several months. His sister is taking care of him 
and he wants something to read. And uh, he, he basically just read, you know, these, what, grocery store novels you grab on the way out. But she just gave him two books, The Lives of the Saints, The Lives of the Saints, and The Gospels. And he's laying in bed for weeks at a time reading these. And this is the reading the church puts in on his feast day in the uh, uh, Liturgy of the Hours. So let's read through it. Ignatius was passionately fond of reading worldly books of fiction and tales of knight errantry. When he felt he was getting better, he asked for some of these books to pass the time. But no book of that sort could be found in the house. Instead, they gave him a life of Christ and a collection of the lives of saints written in Spanish. <coughs> By constantly reading these books, he began to be attracted to what he found narrated there. Sometimes in the midst of his reading, he would reflect on what he had read. Yet other times he would dwell on many things which he had been accustomed to dwell on previously. But at this point, our Lord came to his assistance, ensuring that these thoughts were followed by others which arose from his current reading. So you following this, guys? So he would read the lives of the saints, and he would start thinking about them, about being like them. And then other times he would set them down, and we'd, he would go back to the fantasies of being this great uh, war hero, this great general, this, this, uh, um, this ego. Okay? While reading the life of Christ our Lord, or the lives of the saints, he would reflect and reason with himself. What if I should do what St. Francis or St. Dominic did? In this way, he let his mind dwell on many thoughts. They lasted a while until other things took their place. Then those vain and worldly images would come into his mind and remain a long time. This sequence of thoughts, so you see the thoughts, persisted with him for a long time. But there was a difference. When Ignatius reflected on worldly thoughts, he felt intense pleasure. But when he gave them up out of weariness, he felt dry and depressed. Did you follow that? So these worldly thoughts, huh? Every guy wants to be like me. Everyone wants to date me. And that fantasy that gives great pleasure but when he stopped thinking about those thoughts, he got dry and depressed. Yet, when he thought of living the rigorous sort of life he knew the saints had lived, he not only experienced pleasure when he actually thought about it, but even after he dismissed these thoughts, he still experienced great joy. So now, when he had thoughts stirred, by what if I lived like St. Francis, St. Dominic? What if I lived like Christ? He felt pleasure while he thought it, and after it, the pleasure remained, the joy remained. Yet he did not pay attention to this, nor did he appreciate it until one day 
In a moment of insight, he began to marvel at the difference. Then he understood his experience. Thoughts of one kind left him sad, the others full of joy. Underline that line. Because that's the answer to your question, Maddie. He understood his experience. Thoughts of one kind left him sad and the others full of joy. And this was the first time he applied a process of reasoning to his religious experience. Later on, when he began to formulate his spiritual exercises, he used this experience as an illustration to explain the doctrine he taught his disciples on the discernment of spirits. So the answer to your question, where do these come from? They come from the ex his personal experience. And here's the key, that he understood. Dear people, if you have vain thoughts, egocentric thoughts, and you consent to them and just keep, you will be depressed at the end of the day. That's how they work. Okay? So, the point being, the rule for the discernment of spirits comes from his own personal experience. It's not something he learned in a book. It's from his ordinary experience. Some angel didn't appear to him. And the church has seen in his experience, or from what he learns now, and over years, puts these into rules as a universal, something that applies on a universal level. They are for everyone. No matter how close one is to God, and no matter how far one is from God, these rules apply to everyone. And they're found in your personal experience. This is why I, who took my marker? This is why, dear people, to evangelize the culture today, I think one of the great hooks is, is the is Ignatian spirituality. Ignatian rules for the discernment of spirits. Because our world is addicted to personal experience. They're afraid of dogma. We're afraid of dogma. We're afraid of doctrine. And so to lead people to God is through helping them understand their personal experience. Hmm? Which bring us to the three the three tasks the three tasks for applying the rules for the discernment of spirits. <clears throat> Do you think this dynamic 
Do you think this dynamic that happened to St. Ignatius laying in that bed, do you think that's the first time that ever happened to him in his life? No. It was the first time he became aware of it. Following God, discerning spirits begins by awareness of spiritual movements. The first step is awareness. He became aware. Wow. When I sit and think about this, I experience this. When I think about this, I experience this. When I think about this, I experience this, but then when I stop thinking about it and I go to something else, I'm left dry. When I think about this, I experience, and then when I go back to something else, eating my uh, cheese sandwich, inside of me, there's this beautiful joy. We've all had it. Go work at a soup kitchen, focused on helping others. How do you feel when you're done? This isn't placebo fact. If I help a person, I talk myself into, I'm going to feel good now. No, it happens. Number two is understand. You're aware of the movement. You're aware of the movement, but then you understand it. The sequence of thoughts persisted with him for a long time. It says, but one day, in a moment of insight, he began to marvel at the difference. Then he understood his experience. So it's awareness and then understand. I'm aware of a spiritual movement. I'm aware of a spiritual movement and then I understand. And what I'm understanding, guys, this is very important, what I'm understanding is the source of the movement. I'm understanding where, I'm understanding what is acting on my soul right now. Number three, because I'm aware, because I understand, I now take action. And the two actions are to accept. You could have all kinds of ver verbs. Accept, believe, consent, receive. 
or reject. That which comes from the good spirit, I accept. That which comes from the bad spirit, I reject. It's the rules for the discernment of spirits. Dear people, I hope to God I didn't drive all the way from the cathedral of the Holy Spirit to the University of Mary for you to sit and take notes about this tonight without right now saying, I'm going to try to live this for the rest of my life. If there's any thoughts in your head that this doesn't apply to you, you need to understand the movement that's going on in you. And it's not from God. This is the most important class you've ever had in your life. Okay. Any questions? None thus far. What else do I need to do? This is just an overview so far. Just an overview. I study the rules, spirits, three more. Yeah. So when it's all said and done, huh, these rules are about protecting your relationship with God. Husbands and wives protect their relationship. This is about protecting your friendship with God so you don't leave him. And in fact, so that you grow closer and closer and closer to him. Yeah, let's put that down for another overview. That, that these are, this process is dynamic. It's a dynamic process. It's not like I'm with God one day and another day I'm not with God at all. But these rules are about growing closer and closer and closer and closer and closer to God. Growing more and more uh deeper and deeper friendship, greater and greater intimacy with God. Right? When two people get married, they're one that day. God puts a union between them. But if they're the same level of oneness or unity on their 25th anniversary, something went terribly wrong. They better be closer to each other after 20 years of marriage than they were on their wedding day. It's not like, okay, they peaked out on their wedding day and it's just plateau for the rest. It's always about a closer and closer and closer and closer and closer union. So heaven is union with God, being with him. This is a bit of a digression, but uh, it's good for college kids to know, at least those who want to go to heaven. So, union. There's all kinds of different unions, you guys. When you say you're united or in union with someone, there's all kinds of different unions. Huh? Union in thought, uh, physical union, union in, um, in uh, what? Just uh, likes and dislikes. But the deepest union anyone can have with another person 
is the union of will. The union of wills. When your will is one with another will, you're as united as you can get. So when we say growing closer and closer and closer to God, my will is becoming closer and closer to the will of God in each moment. Okay? I think that's enough of a background to now bust into the rules. What time is it? 7.20. This is fun. You're not getting out one minute early. Here we go. So we, I have introduction. For rule one and rule two, you guys, would you bracket that? Do your little, little bracket and for the bracket put two types of people. Two categories of people, two types of people. That's what first rule and second rule are about. Then uh, you can skip three, you can skip four, and then five through eight. Five through eight, bracket that, and put on that, put that, put, put uh, for, for the category, put in times of desolation. In times of desolation is five through eight. And then 10 and 11 put in times of consolation. 10 and 11. 10 and 11, yeah. And I'll explain, of course, what these words mean. And then 12 through 14 is what the enemy is like. Those are fun. What the enemy is like. So I wanted you to have a handout so you can um, underline, you can mark it up, you can circle, etc. These rules come out of St. Ignatius's spiritual exercises. He wrote a big text on the spiritual exercises. Because after he, after his conversion, he spent several years alone. And then when he came out, he started giving his buddies retreats called the spiritual exercises. He'd go down to the bar, play pool with them, and instead of betting money, he would say, if I make this shot, if I make this shot, you're going to go on an eight-day silent retreat. And he applied these to his buddies. St. Francis Xavier is one of them. Okay? Uh, and so let's go through them. First, the introduction. It's basically everything I've covered uh, thus far. These are the rules for becoming aware, awareness, and understanding to some extent the different movements which are caused in the soul. 
So dear students, young people, you need to have enough faith and enough humility to accept that many of your thoughts, feelings, and desires don't come from you. They're caused by somebody else. That's an incredible admission. You're never alone. These rules are for becoming aware and understanding to some extent the different movements which are caused in the soul. So there's another agent causing these things. The good to receive them and the bad to reject them, take action. And you can forget the, the last line that's in regards to his spiritual exercises. And these rules are more proper for the first week. So being able to follow God, stay in relationship with him, one must have enough humility, enough humility, um, and enough faith to admit that there are thoughts, feelings, and desires in me that weren't caused by me. They were caused by some you, I, you. And if I follow them, I'm following the you that caused them. is about people moving away from God. So, so now, dear students, now he's going to describe in all these rules how the good spirit acts in different situations, how the bad spirit acts in different situations. And the first one is about a person who is moving away from God. He's not trying. God's not important to him. He's moving away from God. person who who has some culpability um, at one time at least culpability but okay and it can be different parts of our lives okay but the point is this in persons who are going from sin to sin mortal sin to mortal sin but don't don't think of it in just big dramatic ways Everyone who are going from mortal sin to mortal sin, the enemy is ordinarily accustomed to a propose apparent pleasures to them. 
Did you catch that? The enemy is ordinarily accustomed. So if you're, if, if I'm moving away from God, what does the bad spirit do? He proposes pleasures to me. Apparent pleasures. Leading them to imagine sensual delights and pleasures in order to hold them more. So the enemy wants them to come close to him. So he can hold them more. What a gross image. To hold them more and make them grow in their vices and sins. So he also wants a person to get closer and closer to him. So that person can then, he can do more bad through them. It says, then it goes on, in these persons, the good spirit uses a contrary method, stinging and biting their consciences through their rational power of moral judgment. Write that down. Ra or underline it. Rational power of moral judgment. <coughs> and underline imagine. So for a person moving away from God, dear students, the enemy acts in the imagination. Acts in the imagination. Do this. It'll be great. Go to the computer, watch this. It'll be really wonderful. And then it's a crash. It's an apparent. The enemy never delivers the goods. Do you follow that? The enemy always is proposing false what he's proposing is false. It never delivers the goods. There's always a hangover with what he's proposing. Back to the back to the playground. Fourth grade. I should really help that kid. No, I don't want to. I, I I don't want to get picked on either. And then when you walk away, dang it, you're sad. You're sad. No, it'll be better for you if you don't. And then when you don't, you're sad. In the imagination. He works in the imagination. For the person moving away from God, the enemy goes after the imagination with delights and largely pleasures. And they don't deliver the goods. Then, the good spirit. What does the good spirit do? The good spirit acts by biting the conscience through rational, through, through rational judgment. So what does God do to a person who's moving away from him? 
don't, don't. You're going to regret it. That's stupid. You're going to go to hell. It's going to hurt you. Don't. That's God. Why? Because he loves me. God's a good father. That's what good parents do. Are you following? You guys should be really excited. Please tell me, please tell me that in this last hour of listening, you guys, please tell me, seriously, that as you're listening, you're saying, yeah, that's pretty true to my experience. Guys, this is true. This is real stuff. God is real. He's real. Okay? Good spirit person. Now, listen to this. Out of 22 rules, out of 22 rules, bless you. That's my job. I love that. <laughs> Sneeze all you want. <laughs> Out of 22 rules, St. Ignatius has one rule for people moving away from God. This is all God can do. He can't encourage them. He can't console them. He can't reveal his dear tenderness to them. Because if he does, it only encourages them to to move further away. That's like a kid eating 20 Snicker bars before dinner and the dad says, good boy. You're such a good boy. Or a kid playing with matches and says, ah, oh, light another one. You're such a dear boy. I like the way you almost burn yourself. So here's the great tragedy of one who isn't interested in, I want God. They never experience God as this tender friend. Because he has to, he ha, he's trying to scare, he's trying to get them to stop hurting themselves. Who go to church and always feel guilty this is what's going on in them unless the priest or the minister is just an absolute jerk but there's not too many of us like that <laughs> what does the love of God look like for a person who's leaving God it looks like this. Don't. Don't. 